before the next teardrop falls If he brings you happiness Then I wish you both the best Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast bonus edition. Chris and I want to thank all of you for listening, for entertaining our thoughts and theories, and for welcoming all the guests we've had on our show this past season. It was a tough year and a tough season for all of us involved. This pandemic hit us from seven different directions, and spinning all our wheels, we were able to come out with a season that we are truly proud of and a direction that we know will lead to the possible recovery of the Lost Boys of Hannibal. What does that mean exactly? Well, in the off chance, or in the very highly chance that we succeed, and we find the boys, there is another tale to be told. How did they end up there? Who put them there? And what does that look like? So, closure is a funny word. I don't ever think a family can get closure when you're dealing with the lost. But I think what the family can get is the assurance that proper burials and an understanding of the actual facts of the day will be laid out for them. And that has been me and Chris's plight this entire time. And we will not stop until we get closer than anyone has before. And with your help, and all the people that have responded to us, all the sidebar conversations, all the messages, all the phone calls, stopping us in the streets, has helped to lead us to where we are right now. And what that means for the future is everything. Because like I've said before, the public solves crime. In this, our first bonus episode of season two, we take a look at a house that's roughly situated right on top of Murphy's Cave. In fact, it made recent headlines when they were doing construction and they opened up cave entries. I know a couple people that might have explored those caves and went down in there to see the old Murphy's Cave. But this house has somehow been a mystery to us. We wanted to know what the origin of the house was. We even thought it one point, it might have been a house for people with mental disabilities and a refuge house, a halfway house, and a bunch of other things. Well, it turns out right around in 1967 to 1972, a family lived there and they were pretty prominent right with on that street. We received a letter from Becky Woodward. And in that letter, she describes exactly what that house's purpose was when she lived there with her family. Here's that letter. Greetings to both of you. I enjoy your podcast and following your Facebook post. I know a lot of this information doesn't really pertain to the Lost Boys, but does document some minor details that I thought might be of interest to you. My mother was from Baltimore, Maryland, but my father was a lifetime Hannibal resident other than when he worked in a defense factory in Baltimore during the war. My father operated a drop hammer machine that made the metal thinner and lighter weight for the airplanes, and my mother worked in the office. My father, Richard Norman, was born in Hannibal in 1919. My grandfather, Rixie Norman, began a Phillips 66 gas station on River Road around 1930. That station was near the city pump house. My dad quit school after sixth grade and went to work with his father in the station. Not an unusual thing at the time. And he was a big kid 
and looked much older than he was. In 1936, they saw an opportunity resulting from the completion of the new Mark Twain Memorial Bridge and opened a Conoco station on the Mark Twain Avenue. In 1955, that business became a casualty of progress when it was purchased to make way for the four-laning of US-36. My grandfather and his two sons then opened his service station at 623 South Main Street, which was only two blocks east of the Highway 79 construction site. My father Richard and his brother Harold owned the station with their father. The flood of 73 convinced them to move the business to higher ground. She can recall the floodwaters being so high that they had to lay down in the bottom of a boat to get through the high doors into the work base where the car left area of the shop was. They then moved to the corner of 216 North 3rd Street. By this time, the full-service gas station was rapidly becoming a thing of the past. No more windshield washing and oil checks with a fill-up. The convenience store had erupted and they stopped selling gas and concentrated on mechanic work to stay in business. Also, of course, more regulations began, and the corner neighborhood gas and grocery stores, well, they disappeared. They actually had long-term customers who had never pumped their own gas before. The hills of Hannibal also had caused many people to have chains put on their tire during the snow, which the gas station also sold and installed. After my parents' marriage in 1946, they moved into the duplex stone house my dad had purchased. They lived in the 511 Birch Street side, and the 513 Birch side was two apartments, three rooms and a bath each, that they rented out for extra income. I was born in 1954. I only attended Stoll School for kindergarten and first grade. I suspect my mother was the one who wanted to build a new house, which they did, and we moved to 620 Country Club Drive. This move meant I was in the Mark Twain Elementary School District, so I attended there, so I didn't personally know the three boys or their families. Of course, my dad continued to work in the gas station and knew everyone on the south side. As I'm sure you have discovered, it was its own little world and very close-knit. We attended the First Christian Church on Broadway instead of the Southside Christian Church, so my mother wasn't close to any of the three boys' mothers either. Thinking back now, my mother was probably a little snooty. (laughs) While we lived on Country Club Drive, my parents turned the stone house into four rental apartments. When I was in junior high school, my parents sold the Country Club house, remodeled the stone house, and moved back there using the entire house ourselves. So we were living there in 1967. I married in 1972, and I think it was the following year my parents sold the stone house. At the time, the house had four kitchens, four baths, plus a utility shower bath in the basement, so it was easy for someone later to use it as a group home for those not able to live independently. I don't feel it was truly a mental hospital. Often thought I would love to see the inside now. At one time, it was a beautiful place. My memory isn't the best, and of course, my parents are now deceased. So, wish I could talk with my dad about your research. My dad didn't allow me to go to the 79 road construction site or watch the search for the boys unless I was with him. I was only 13, and he felt it wasn't safe. I do remember hearing the loud blasting sounds and the huge earth-moving equipment during the highway construction. We were so accustomed to the trains and whistles going on on the tracks between the stone house and the armory, we hardly noticed that every day and 
every night noise, but the blasting was a little unnerving. My bedroom was at the front end of the house, and the rescue search area was very lit up with spotlights, so it seemed to be almost constant daylight to me. Of course, once again, these are memories of a 13-year-old. In the one picture, you can see how before the Highway 79 and the viaduct was built, the road was so much lower. Those steps in the front of the house were very, very steep. I'm sure my dad heard lots of stories and theories about the missing boys. He was the closest gas station, and the Southside people were very loyal to their local businesses. He would offer lines of credit to the fellows who worked at the cement plant, the police station employees, and cab companies, along with anyone local who requested it until payday. There were many who preferred to not use the banks, and they would come into the station on payday and cast their checks also. We always had plenty of cash on Friday payday so they could do this for their customers. Wishing you the best and good luck with your endeavors. I've enclosed an envelope. If you would please return my pictures, you are welcome to make copies if you wish. Sincerely, Becky Norman Woodward of Hull, Illinois. Becky, I want to thank you personally for sending this out to us and sharing your pictures with us that we've posted. They're now on Facebook and Instagram. It was a relief to know that you guys were there in that house by Murphy's Cave, that you had to endure the spotlights at night and the loud, booming noises of that highway being opened up. We can't thank you enough for clearing this up for us in our search in 1969. We now know that that house had a lovely family living there with locals that helped people out. It's awesome that the kind of group sharings and posts that we received, the letters, uh, the call-outs in the street, the friends that we've made along this incredible journey of now two seasons long of looking for these lost boys and keeping them in the forefront of our memory. I have some important news to share with you. Me and Chris decided to start the documentary. Whether it becomes a show like The Curse of Oak Island in an episodic format or one full-length documentary, we want you to know that at the very heart of it is to solve this case for the families involved, the families that have reached out to us privately. We will not disclose them, and they probably will not be in the film because of their own reasons. You see, people try to profit off the dead a lot, and this happens in these circumstances. And Sometimes people think that they're doing the right thing by putting the information out there. Me and Chris have always begun and always thought and led with the boys first. With that, production costs are high. And for right now, I'm covering all of them because I want this story to be told. Shift Films has done some amazing work in this crazy year. And so we're going to put some of that hard work into the work we're doing for the Lost Boys of Hannibal documentary and production. So right now, enjoy the podcast. Enjoy listening to us and the information that we receive and get. The last thing that I would mention here is it is hard to make assumptions and it is hard to make accurate statements when we don't have all the facts. So anyone that tries to, be guarded, be safe, and don't believe everything you hear. With that, we are looking for people. We are looking for people that listen to us. We are having a full-on search for any of you guys out there that have home videos 
from the 1960s and 70s that we can include in our film. The high cost of royalty-free imagery and stock is something we just can't afford right now. So we're asking our users out there, hey mom, hey grandma, do you have any video from 1960 and 1970 of kids running in the yard, the old caves, the street, Southside Hannibal? I really want our documentary to not only focus on finding the Lost Boys, but to really cherish a community that still loves what it does and what its origins are all about. From Mark Twain to the great kitchenettes and the restaurants and the people that make Hannibal such a wonderful place to visit. It really is America's hometown. So if you have any of that information, please email me at hello, H-E-L-L-O, at shiftfilms.net or message us on Facebook and we will set up a link so you guys can drop that footage or you can mail it to us. Um, Just please message us first. Our addresses have changed since we moved our studio to St. Charles, Missouri. Thank you so much for enjoying this first bonus episode and solving the discovery of the stone house on Bird Street by Murphy's Cave. We now have this riddle solved. One less thing to research and one more thing to cross off the list. As Chris would say, we don't need to dig into that anymore. From all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal Podcast, I'm Frankie, and I hope you've enjoyed this. We'll be seeing you. By your side to dry away every teardrop that you cry if he ever leaves you blue just remember I love you and I'll be there before the next